I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. I'm out in my front garden on a brutally cold day. The coldest day, in fact, for 10 years, according to the Met Office. And all my shrubs in the front garden are covered in frost and snow. But there's one that really stands out. It's called Eliagnus pungens maculata, and it's a really tough variegated evergreen. The leaves are deep green, and they've got a splash of golden yellow in the middle. Variegated plants are sometimes ignored and neglected. They really come into their own in the winter when there's no flowers and the days are dull and grey like today. And they glow as you walk up and down my front garden path. So it's a, a plant I would be very sorry to be without. But while my humble patch may be keeping the suburban streets of Surrey just a little bit greener, there are many gardeners growing far wackier and unexpected plants even in the biting frosts of winter. We'll be talking to Phil Clayton, author of A Plant for Every Day of the Year, about some of the more eye-catching winter varieties. I don't think anyone else down your street will have them. You could put them in the front garden even and, and get some comments from interested passers-by. Before taking you into the vaults of RHS Garden Wisley's Seed Hub to explore their fascinating and ever-changing collections. We're now standing inside the seed packing and dispatch zone. But we won't be leaving you without any homework. You'll also get a hands-on tutorial from wildlife expert Helen Bostock on how to create eco-friendly holiday reefs that are sure to win over your local winter bird life. Everybody loves a reef at this time of year. It's great to have one perhaps on your front door, welcome your visitors, but we want to have low impact on our biodiversity in our gardens as well. You're listening to Gardening with the RHS with me, Guy Barter. What's your favourite time in the garden? Mine is autumn, when all the things I've been growing all summer come to fruition and I can pick my apples, dig my carrots and gather flowers to decorate the house. Well, you might think him mad, but for our first guest, author and expert horticulturist Phil Clayton, the answer is winter. Before he shared with us the unusual and even bizarre winter wonders that can be found in the home garden, Phil told us where he found the inspiration to write his book. So the idea for a plant for every day of the year came from the dreaded lockdowns of spring 2020. Just about the only good thing about that time was the weather. It was lovely, warm, sunny days, and there was lots in the garden to see. And as a result, 
I thought I'd tweet a plant, a different garden plant, every single day, just to cheer people up and also to give myself something to do, really. So I did it for a few months, and then I thought to myself, hang on a minute, this could make quite a good book, a different plant for every day of the year. Winter's one of my favourite times in the garden. There's so much now to choose from. We've moved a long way from the days when it used to be just a few conifers, maybe one or two salix stems. There's a whole wealth of different interesting evergreens, bulbs, climbers, perennials, all sorts of things which look great through winter and can be really exciting to grow. So let me introduce you to some of the more unusual or even slightly bizarre looking plants for the winter garden, things that will really get your visitors talking when you take them around your borders. So the first one I'd like to introduce you to is, is a willow actually, it's Salix gracilis styler Mount Aso. Now the first time I saw this plant, it was actually on a picture and I, I didn't believe it was real. It has bright pink, almost red catkins. They're actually pussy willow catkins, those upright fluffy flower heads. Uh, they're normally silver, aren't they? But in this case, they're bright pink, if not red. They look artificially coloured, but I can assure you they're 100% natural. It's pretty easy to keep. The main thing is that it mustn't get too dry or hot in the summer. So you need to plant it somewhere with a little bit of shade and in a moisture retentive soil. The main thing with this plant is you just want to touch it. The catkins themselves are downy and soft and you just want to stroke them. They look they look unreal, really. They look like little rabbit's ears almost. Another unusual plant, which I really like, is actually a kind of rubus, uh, a rubus phonocalaceus. Basically, it's evergreen and it forms these tall, arching stems. And the stems themselves are covered in red to rust-coloured bristles. They're not spines, it's not prickly like a normal rubus or blackberry, but it has these bristles. And if you plant it somewhere that the, the winter sun will catch it, they seem to shine, almost like a fibre-optic lamp. It's a really entrancing thing when you, when you see a whole thicket of it growing. And it also, during the summer, as a bonus, has uh, little edible raspberry-like fruits, which are quite tasty, actually. While you're doing a bit of weeding, you might look up and see a little fruit and have a taste. So it's one I wholeheartedly recommend. My third uh, recommendation is something with more traditional flowers. It's a climber. It's not a shrub, it's a climber. And it's a climber for a sheltered wall. It needs somewhere that's not going to be too cold. It is a clematis, clematis europhila winter beauty. It's a fairly attractive evergreen climber through most of the year. And then late in the, in the winter, usually usually late January, possibly mid to mid-February, you'll start to notice these white bells appearing. And the flowers themselves look like they've been made out of wax. They're really thick and incredibly beautiful, pure white, and they dangle down from the stems. I've never detected any scent from them, but frankly, they're, they're so mesmerising to look at that the scent isn't really needed. As I say, the main thing is it must have somewhere sheltered. I used to grow it out the front of my house and it, it was in a really warm, sunny corner and it went crazy. And actually, I had to remove it because the, the roots blocked the gully from the gutter. So I had to take it out. It did really, really well there. So with these three plants, you've got a, a climbing plant with beautiful waxy flowers. You've got this marvellous shrub with 
bristly stems that glow in the uh, winter light. And you've got this amazing bright pink pussy willow. I don't think anyone else down your street will have them. You could put them in the front garden even and, and get some comments from interested passers-by. I think as gardeners, we're really, really lucky because this, there is just so much diversity. You know, since I've written my book, I could probably have written a second one. I've been thinking of all sorts of things I could have included, but didn't because there wasn't space for them. I could probably do another book with another 365 plants. There is this vast wealth of cultivated plants that we can all have a go at growing. To hear more from Phil, pick up a copy of his book, A Plant for Every Day of the Year. I like the idea of plant spotting on the walk to the station. When I walk to my station, I'm spoilt for choice. There's old-fashioned gardens that are bedded out with roses or azaleas, more modern gardens with evergreen shrubs like skimmier and choicier. One of the plants I see is one that Phil actually talked about, Salix Mount Asa, with its wonderful tactile catkins in the spring. It's plants like that that make my walk to the station for my commute to central London all that much more interesting and enjoyable. Sets me up for the day, you might say. Now, if Phil's stirring words have got you brainstorming about the more unique plants you could get your hands on, then you're in for a treat as we head to the inner sanctum of RHS Garden Wisley to explore the packet-lined production rooms of the seed department. We're now standing inside the seed packing and dispatch zone. So the seed team are out collecting seed across the summer months, so from about June right through to the end of October. So we will collect anything we can really around the garden. Plus we do also go to Hyde Hall as well because they have a really good dry garden there. So we try to collect as much seed as we can from them too. But we're collecting annuals, herbaceous perennials, we collect seed from trees and shrubs as well. So we have a, quite a good range on our seed list every year and some quite rare and unusual things. And then we bring the seed back and we dry it off and then we clean it using sieves and special pieces of kit called an aspirator. And then from November onwards, we start to pack up the cleaned seed and then we are putting it into seed envelopes putting it onto our dispatch boards. And then as soon as the orders come in from the 1st of December, we then start to send out the, the seed packets to members. Obviously we have to be a bit careful when we're collecting seed because we don't want to deadhead lovely seed heads if they have an aesthetic value in the garden. So we always liaise and communicate with members of the curatorial garden team just to make sure they're okay with us collecting seed. And sometimes we get there too late, sometimes things have already been deadheaded, so they can't go on the list that year. But we always manage to get, you know, enough seed to put on the seed list every year. So I've just a few tips if you want to collect some seed from your garden. And I would recommend anybody tries to collect seed, actually, particularly from annuals and herbaceous perennials or even, even trees, if you like. Wait until the flower heads completely die off and generally the seeds are quite hard and dark so you can look quite closely at the seed heads and you'll often find there are seed capsules, maybe they've turned a sort of a buff brown colour, they've started to split and um, we usually collect our seed at the point of dispersal so you'll see when seeds are starting to be shed that, you know, that is the time, the right time to collect them. 
The thing just to bear in mind is that if you're collecting seed from your own garden, everything will be open pollinated. So a bee has, has collected pollen from one plant and transferred it to the anthers of another flower and it means that whatever you're collecting seed from may not come true particularly if it's an f1 hybrid or if it's a particular cultivar that you may get some actually quite pleasant surprises if you sow the seed you might find that some of the plants look a bit different to the ones that you collected the seed from just because of that reason so there are lots of flowers that are, are great to collect, actually. So, for example, digitalis, foxgloves, they produce copious amounts of seeds. So you can just wait for the flower spike to finish flowering completely and go completely brown, snip it off at the bottom and then literally turn it upside down into a paper bag. And you can hear all the seeds pouring out into your bag and you get just, you know, hundreds and thousands of seeds. And you can do the same with poppies as well. So they have that lovely pepper pot capsule, and then they, the capsule starts to split at the top, and you can, if you shake it gently, you can hear the seeds rattling around inside. And again, if you turn it upside down, you can collect the seeds in a paper bag, and then you can just spread them around your garden and have all sorts of poppies coming up in the next year, or foxgloves. We've spent the whole of the summer collecting seeds, but now I'm going to take you behind the scenes and show you what we do with them once we've collected and cleaned them and dried them. We're standing in our seed workroom and we have about eight volunteers all sitting around the table and they're currently packing and sealing seed envelopes and then we also have our dispatch board so once all the seed is packed we then put them onto our a-frame boards each one of which is numbered so we have 180 different seeds on the list this year and then the orders will start to come in from the 1st of December and then we can take each order and pick the numbers that members have ordered and then pop them into a, an envelope and send them off in the post. Hello, my name's Lucy and I take out the volunteers every day collecting seed for the membership seed scheme. Tell me what your favourite seed is that you've collected this year. Um, yes, the interesting pineapple flower, uh, mucomis, camosa or bicolour. Well, at this time of year, it's a bit slimy, actually. <laughs> I got a bit mucky collecting it, but it's a lovely uh, jet black, beautiful seed. It's it's one of our favourites, and um, yeah, it's called the the pineapple flower because of the seed head is is a nice sort of cone pineapple shape. It's quite attractive. Yeah, so it has sort of strap like leaves with interesting markings actually and it's got this cone sort of structure in the middle that looks a bit like a, a pineapple actually with sort of some sepals I think they are at the bottom. It's quite an unusual one actually so some people may have it because it's quite exotic looking particularly if you like exotic looking plants it's a good one to have actually in your garden. So if you've forgotten to order your seeds or if you're just thinking about ordering some seeds, don't forget to go onto the RHS website and order yours from the RHS Member Seed Scheme. Thanks, Heather and Lucy. As they mentioned, the RHS Member Seed Scheme is now open. So head to the link in our show notes to get your hands on all types of seeds from the pineapple flower and beyond. I love the seed department at Wisley. There's a hive of activity as people go out into the gardens, gather seeds in late summer and autumn, and then dry them and sieve them and packet them all through the winter. 
and it's a great place for trainees to go. When it's too wet and cold to have useful, productive work out in the garden, they often head to join the seed bank team and help packet all those seeds for the seed distribution scheme. And then finally, in spring, when the seeds have been sent out, they can relax and start dealing with the seeds they've had in storage ready for the next year. But while you wait for spring to sow your seeds, we do, in fact, have a project you can get cracking on immediately making your own bird-friendly holiday reefs. Next up, we'll be hearing from someone with a deep love for all the critters roaming our gardens and getting plenty of tips to both attract and protect them. Here's RHS Senior Wildlife Specialist, Helen Bostock. So it's been quite mild autumn and we've been lulled perhaps into a full sense of summer never ending, but winter's definitely here. We're starting to get some frost. And it's a time of year when we think, oh, everything becomes quite bare and barren, our leaves are falling on the trees, and we think the same goes for wildlife. But actually, I'd like to dispel some of that because some wildlife actually becomes easier to see in winter. Others go to ground. We might need to look harder, but it's not gone, I can assure you. One thing that's quite nice in the winter, actually, is a lot of the birds start to come back. So they've been really busy breeding all summer, or some of them have actually been breeding in other countries, particularly from Scandinavia and over from sort of northern parts, Siberia and Russia. And that's really exciting because there's fewer leaves on the trees, which means that we can get to see them more clearly. So yeah, there's going to be things like winter thrushes. Those are field fares and red wings. These are all in the thrush family and they come in big flocks overseas and, you know, and we'll be looking for lots of things to feed on and feast up, fatten, you know, for their flight. In our gardens, you know, we often have burying and fruiting bushes and trees. So they're a great place to see them. And even things like everyday garden birds, blackbirds and robins, they actually go a bit out of action uh, during the summer when, when they're too busy, you know, raising all their young. They, they're not so visible. You also don't hear them as much. But this time of year, they've got that out of the way and they're really in the business of fattening themselves up for the winter. And so they become much more sort of obvious characters back into the garden. If you're digging over a border or something, you'll probably have your local robin down there, you know, eager to take any worms and morsels that come to the surface. So I think Everybody loves a wreath at this time of year. It's great to have one perhaps on your front door, welcome your visitors, but we want to have low impact on our biodiversity in our gardens as well. So I've got a few cracking ideas on how to achieve both of those things in one go. So this weekend, I decided it was time to get going with my own wreaths. And I'm quite a traditional person. I love to have a good moss-based wreath with holly on. And that's super for outdoors because the moss stays damp and it just keeps all the evergreen holly looking nice and fresh. But to do that, I've got a female holly tree in the garden, which means that it bears berries. And it was full of berries this year. It's been a really great year for sort of fruit and berries. But whilst I was looking at that and really tempted to start harvesting early before the birds took all of the berries, actually, because I love to welcome the wildlife in my garden, I decided, no, I'll, I'll, I'll just wait a little bit. It doesn't matter if I just have the holly leaves. And sure enough, I got a lovely big chattery flock of red wings into the garden about a week ago. And within a week, they've pretty much stripped that tree and it was lovely to watch when I got the binoculars out so I had lots of fun 
And then this weekend, I went in with my long handled pruners and trimmed off some spare bits around the edges. And actually, those wreaths look lovely. You can add to them with things like pine cones, or you can put, you know, your own pretty bows on, or whatever it is. You don't have to worry that, you know, it's not got the berries on. So for me, that's a perfect way to sort of have your cake and eat it, or let the birds eat it rather. Because in my experience, it's a nice idea to make a wreath for birds, but if you plan to put it somewhere really close to where there's a lot of human activity, such as your front door, these birds, such as the red wings and the blackbirds and song thrushes, they're just a little bit too timid to, to actually come and collect there. So best of both worlds, I let them have their fill and then I go in. Now, of course, there are other things that we can do as well, and you can make a wreath wonderfully colourful by adding all sorts of things into it. So if you've got a crabapple tree in your garden, maybe just harvest a few of the fruits. And if you've got a like a kebab stick, you know, one of those uh, skewers, just cut those in half or snap them in half, push the pointy end up into the bottom of the fruit. And then you've got something that acts almost like as a stalk for you to push it into a conventional wreath. And even things that have got seed heads, if they've you know not been ruined by the weather yet, have a look around for things like teasel seed heads, or maybe love in a mist, if you grew that this summer, lovely blue flowers, followed by these wonderful inflated seed pods. And all these sorts of things, poppy heads and so on, they can all be either glued on or you know sort of wired on, and they're really super and colourful. Going back to the birds, a really fun activity that's great to do with children is to get hold of a few pine cones, the bigger the better, and then you can either get a jar of peanut butter, the nice smooth type is fine, or you can get it with chunky bits in. And what you do is you just get your family to smear that. They can use their fingers if they want, or a spoon or a knife, and smear that into all the sort of nooks and crannies of the pine cone put in a nice string around the top of the pine cone and then dangle that in one of your garden trees or maybe off a trellis if you've got a trellis. The other way to do it is to make a suet wreath and that's literally a suet fat and you can get vegetarian forms of suet if you prefer and you just melt this down into a mold. So if you've got maybe like a cake tin for one of the ring cakes, those are brilliant because then you can actually make a circular cake for the birds and yeah, drop in all sorts of things. So you can put in some dried fruit in there, some nuts. And if you really want to go to town, you can put in some berries from your garden plants as well. So there are still quite a lot of berries around. Just have a little wander around your garden. Chances are you've probably got a few cotoneaster berries or maybe some nice yellow or orange pyracantha berries. And in fact, there's even a few flowers at this time of year that are great for wildlife as well. I've got a Fatsia japonica, which is in the ivy family. And it's one of the last things really to flower. And it's just burst open with its creamy coloured sort of round bobbles of flowers and they're really attracting any of the late bees and particularly the flies. So yeah, they look great in a, in a wreath as well. So there's lots of festive ways that you and your wildlife can celebrate Christmas this year, whether it's a wildlife friendly wreath that you've actually allowed the, the birds to pluck the holly berries off before, or whether it's a suet wreath that you perhaps dangle in one of your garden trees. There's so much to do out there. Get creative and enjoy the wildlife. Thanks there to Helen Bostock, 
I've known Helen for years and years. In fact, years ago, I was her line manager and she said, can I go on a wildlife course? And I said, all right. And now look at her, our foremost wildlife expert in the RHS. Like Helen, I love winter bird watching. Through my garden come flocks of long-tailed tits and blue tits. They all gang together and work their way up and down the street. Last week, a crop of field fairs came through and scoffed the pyracanth berries, and they scoffed the holly berries. But my loss is the bird's gain. Well, that's about it for today. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's the best way to help us share the love of gardening, and hopefully we'll see more of those wonderful winter plants, like Phil Clayton's Japanese pink willow, up and down the country. Although gardeners can take a well-deserved rest in December, there's still some things that are worth doing. Mending fences and sheds, adding more water butts in case of drought next year, clearing up plant material and popping it on the compost bin, and starting in on the pruning. And don't forget to order your books from the RHS website as soon as you can, as the 20th of December will be the last day to get them in time for Christmas. But that's all for now. So for me, Guy Barter, goodbye and thanks for listening. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets and you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.